0: then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander we want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Today, we've got a special guest. Somebody's been on the show before, Andrew McDonald. If you don't know Andrew, he has worn many interesting hats during his property career, which has led him to have a really good understanding of the market and all the different players in the market. And as a consequence, has a very balanced approach. He's been appraising, investing and managing commercial property assets for a long time. It's actually been 18 months since we last had him on the podcast, which was back in May 21 on episode 66. And a lot has changed since then. So I thought we'd have him back to have a chat through a number of topics, some new and some relating to things that we spoke about back on that episode. So here's some of the things we've included. What's really happening with permitted development rights? Where is the retail sector right now? What about FlexSpace? what's happening with yield rates, and of course, something that's coming up more and more, how many deals are actually falling out of bed right now. And then finally, what opportunities should private investors be looking at right now? I'm really grateful Andrew agreed to share some more of his time with us, and I'm sure you'll find this episode really informative. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. And today, I have Anna McDonald joining me again. it's been 18 months since we last spoke, Andrew. Welcome back.
1: Thank you for having me back. I can't believe it's been so long, as we were just saying a few minutes ago. There's been so much has happened in between that time. Yeah, I thought it was maybe about six months,
0: but then I realized <laughs> it was May 21 when we last spoke. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe one or two things have changed out in out there in the market. That was back in um uh, back on eight, episode sixty-six, I think it was and we spoke mainly about, about retail, but I think our discussion today is probably gonna to have to expand a little bit from that because, yeah, I mean, every week something seems to change, but 18 months is a long time.
1: Yes, yes, especially in politics. So a week's a long time in politics, don't they? But 18 <laughs> months is, is a lifetime nowadays, I guess, by that by that it's, logic. <laughs> it's crazy. Maybe, maybe yeah. the um, first
0: thing for us to do is just refresh the memories of our listeners of what you do, Andrew. Um, And maybe you could just introduce your business as well, just give you a chance to set the context.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks again. Uh, So, yeah, I've I've been a commercial property agent for 28 years now, 27 years. Um, 25 of those were in the corporate sector. So, I had a vanilla career up in the West End, working for I think three or four uh, corporate agencies over that time. It was four, actually. So, yeah, I I was um, dealing with. The first ten years, I was leasing shops up and down the country uh, and shopping centres, and then um, I moved after ten years to do to work on the capital market side. So that was brokering high street and associated property investments for a, for a range of clients, mainly institutions, yeah, other property companies and high high net worth individuals. So we're either selling property investments for these clients, or or we took a brief from them and and were scouring the market to try and find their deals and. And ultimately broke them. them. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's what I did for the first 25 years. It was time for a break after a yeah. after life sentence. <laughs> after a good, a good run at it, I wanted to change yes. the scene. So, so what's now? What's happening now? Well, I, yeah, I left in 2020, uh, my corporate job. And I, I had 2020 off and then I set up my own commercial agency called Tandem Real Estate. Uh, and we we still do the same thing, which is, you know, source deals for, for a range of clients. Um, but part of the reason for leaving was also to get involved in a few more development projects on my own account. So um, we've set up the Credo Group, which is a, effectively a brand collaboration between architects, agents, and and uh, building consultants. And we're out you know, looking at buying for conversion property on our own account, but also providing a what we call a one stop shop asset management service to busy and ambitious landlords. So we've okay. got um, so we're effectively a delivery partner for under resourced and overstretched landlords to get the best out of their property so that's been a that's been a push for the last six to nine months getting that um getting that sort of market tested and, and market ready and we're having some some success success there um Great. but also yeah sorry i was
0: just going to say and that's multi-sector isn't it that's not not just retail now you're 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 across different sectors on those projects
1: yeah i mean our our, um, our building consultants and architects work on um, work in a variety of sectors on the agency side our strength is in um, retail and you know leisure and associated subsectors. but uh, yeah we've got the ability to transcend sectors now depending upon what the client wants so uh, yeah it's it's portfolio landlords really who don't have the time to to get the best out of their assets and you know that's a problem with vacancy rates at the moment
0: okay i mean that's interesting because the the initial the big chunk of time there was really maybe working more with institutional
1: investors would that be fair to say uh, well, initially it was, yeah. Throughout throughout yeah. my corporate career, yeah. um, it has been working with the, with the institutional investors,
0: um, and yeah, now it's now it's more private investors as well as some still some institutional investors.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, institutional investors tend to have their own asset management teams, so yeah. um, you know, arguably we tread on their toes, but uh, um, we, you know, it's it's, it's it's property companies with, you know, 20, 50, 100 assets. Um, so it's, it's that it's that sort of tear down or, or a few tears down from institutional investors that we're working with at the moment. And do you find, just out of interest, do you find that most
0: of the chat conversation in the, in the market is generally led with the context of institutional investment? You know, so for instance, if you pick up the Sunday papers and it starts talking about commercial um, retail sector, do you find mm. they tend to be talking more to the institutional um, investors rather than the private?
1: Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. Certainly in the commercial sectors. Yeah. Um, the the residential sector has been uh, dominated and is to an extent still by the by the private investor. Although of course the the rise of the BTR market is. Yeah. Is bringing the institutions on board, but the majority of our high streets and our shopping centres, our retail warehouses, our our big town centre offices, our industrial estates, these are primarily owned and and operated or owned and managed by the institutions. Um, So, yeah, that does drive the narrative. Yeah. So as private investors, we maybe need to just be aware of that (laughs) when we're listening
0: to the chat. (laughs) It might not affect us necessarily
1: not so bad no no no. don't uh don't read all you see in the press okay right
0: let's um i've got a few questions um around retail of course uh, a little bit about where maybe yields are right now um just a few different questions just to update but let's just talk about permitted development rights if we can so about 2020 summer 2020 things started to change and yeah. this, is, this is predominantly for England, of course. In, in Scotland, is a slightly different set of regulations. But the permitted development rights came out with a bang, or at least certainly within property sectors, there were there were certainly a lot of chat about them and mm. how this was going to revolutionise the the market and opportunity. Now we're a good bit of time into that. How are you seeing that unfold?
1: Yes, that's right. Because so I think you're, you and I were probably on sort of similar audience and panels in on clubhouse weren't we in, in the yeah th- yeah that's exactly records. right yeah um and uh, yeah the new sort of prior approval permitted development rules were being you know heavily heavily touted as as the uh, as the way forward um at that stage um how i mean you know it, it it's all wrapped up as i see it in just the sort of general turgid and and um malfunctioning or dysfunctional <laughs> <functioning laughs> yeah. planning, planning system really um we we just we haven't seen the sort of level of conversions come through as had been expected um i wouldn't necessarily say that's because the um the permitted development rights don't work as had been anticipated but obviously the whole the whole system is 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 grinding to a halt or has grinded to some sort of halt um so um yeah you know um the permitted development, as some people like to call it, is more planning light. You know, there's there's more more properties which sit in the uh, crosshairs of of permitted development, yeah. but the um, the level of approvals which need to uh, be gained or sought to actually get that consent is or are more prohibitive. And of course, you know, if you give the council or local authorities any decision to make, um, I'm talking in general here, but. Uh, it seems to it seems to grind things to a halt. I'm hopeful there'll be more deals to come, but um, it you know it will largely to my to my mind depend upon the, um, the planning authorities um, uh, moving at a greater pace. Yeah, I think uh, I, even in Scotland it's a slightly
0: different thing. But even in Scotland, you you, you do notice which councils are forward thinking and and want to embrace that sort of thing, and then there's others that don't. So naturally, mm. there's going to be some areas that's going to work better than others. Mm. But as as you say, there there are um, still some involvements with the councils and planning departments, and that's where it can get snarled up. But equally, mm. I think there's some planning departments and councils who are trying to, or it would appear, trying to find ways of working their way around permitted development because they mm. don't like, from on high, being told what to do.
1: Well, that's right. Yes, that is right. I mean, it does, uh, or it could fundamentally alter the, the landscape or the... Um, or the look of a town centre yeah. over a period of time. The initial change to the planning rules was the ability to obviously let ground floor retail units to a variety of other uses. So rather than just being able to let um, prime shops to to retailers, you could start letting prime shops to to restaurants and and such like. So that that you know, taken to a natural conclusion, that can really change the the makeup and the layup of a town. Yeah. Um and then you throw in the ability to turn upper parts into into flats undertaken by developers who perhaps aren't you know qualified for it or um uh, with with no real regard to design, then you know, over a period of time, and not much happens in property, particularly quickly at all, of course, but over a period of time you can see how um the local authorities will will worry about the nature of their town centres.
0: Yeah. In- interesting though, the state of some of their town centres right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is maybe not quite what they had in
1: mind either. So, yeah, so <laughs> let's be fair; something has to change, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, there's, there's, uh, um, yeah. There's a lot to be said for a lot of town centres. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let well, let's talk about retail then. What trends are
0: you seeing in that space? Uh, back at, if I recollect, back when we were talking, it was not the most popular form of investing at the time, yes. and maybe finance on it would have been quite difficult. Um, have you yeah. seen that change at all
1: well I, I i would i would say i would say things um were starting to were were starting to turn around mm-hmm. um, uh and had been you know if, if i look at the major agencies in the west end there were redundancies immediately post um uh post the covid lockdown yeah. lockdowns and uh you know I noticed that the sort of the Recruitment uptake or uptick was was improving at the early part of this year, so people were being brought on board. Um, you know, I suppose a, a large part of that was because there were seats to fill after the COVID, uh, and, sure, and- yeah, yeah, them. um, but I'm, I'm hearing that's not the case anymore. There are sort of some redundancies coming through in the retail teams, um, a large part of it, um, was born out of the. Mini budget in in September twenty twenty two that that that's had an impact. So I'm I'm not quite sure that's really that's really filtered through yet um, because uh, you know it's a brave man to really bet on where interest rates are going to be. But I mean, certainly they've moved up, and that's having an effect on people's borrowing rates. And of course, that's making yields on property, retail property, uh, soften to get that you know to get that arbitrage absolutely so the the yields
0: on retail when we were discussing last time had pushed out yeah and uh, did they continue did they harden Uh, i mean i appreciate in the last few months maybe things have changed again but over um the earlier part of 2022 had those yield
1: rates stabilized they'd certainly stabilized yeah yeah um and of course you look at you know prime secondary and tertiary um the tertiary market is and has been struggling ever since. So maybe maybe I'll, I'll sort of narrow it down to the prime, yeah. okay. good secondary, which is which is stabilised. But uh, yeah, they started to start to move out out again. But you know, of course, they're looking very cheap in historic yes. terms and context. So you know, arguably, if you buy the right stock, it's a good time to be getting in.
0: Yeah, and as you say, with interest rates, if interest rates have gone up by two percent, and the target return for someone is six percent well now they're now they're going to be looking for you know plus two on top of whatever they were looking for before it's just the 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 basic numbers isn't it that's right and have the yield rates in industrial
1: softened do you get involved much in the industrial sector now only through hearsay um Mm -hmm. my my agency network up in the west end still talks about industrial um uh i'm still i'm still on the periphery of it and uh yeah they the market i think somebody was saying within the last three or four months had softened by you know it, it was a noticeable figure whether it was whether it was 25% i can't i can't quite recall but um there had been a real softening of um uh, of prime prime industrial yields and that was of course through.
0: so going from 4% to 5% say
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah yeah in, <laughs> in prime uh, greater london sub 3% yeah not,
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely madness um, but that was uh, that was that was driven by um tenant demand which i believe is still there but um you know again it's it's largely dependent upon interest rates yeah, yeah. okay okay and in
0: um office sector any a uh, uh, difficult isn't it you know we're we talking about huge offices small offices you know there's nuances there but in yeah. general
1: yeah again offices um, there's a there's a there's a cloud. I mean, I'd like to try and talk in more positive tones, and of course, at the, you know, with every cloud there is a silver lining. But uh, sure. just looking at the sort of property fundamentals, um, there there is less investor appetite for offices as offices. Yeah. Um. It's, you know, no one really knows what what um, you know what the future of, of offices are. You know, there will be a space for it, but in what capacity? It's still quite early on. And you know, in the evolution post COVID, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, certainly. When you're looking at the city centres, some of them are still struggling with the large floor plates. But, yeah. but uh, in in my sector, flex space, we we've seen in general, certainly where we are, and the people I've spoken to in the industry, a, a real strengthening of demand. I don't.
1: Do yeah. you ever really get involved in flex space at all, Andrew? Well, I do. Yeah. Um... I do have a client at the moment who's looking for flex space offices in and around where I live down in Surrey. Mm-hmm. I've done a sweep of the local market and local agents. Yeah. Um, what and, did you discover? Well, a bit more interest than I, than I had anticipated. Uh-huh. You know, obviously a landlord puts their, puts their office on the market expecting a five-year or a 10-year term until hopefully a blue chip. And then after, a, a, you know, a, a number of months appreciates that, that that might not well be possible. So, yeah. you know, from a landlord's point of view, it's, it's driven by, you know, pragmatism and realism. There's quite a few new entrants into the flex space and, you know, some will some will do a good job and you know, many won't. But, you know, if you can if you can pin your hopes on a good operator, you should get you should get a good rental return. Yeah, that yeah, of course. Yeah, as
0: a landlord, some yeah. some will double up as the operator as well. What did, what what did you discover when you were looking at market demand in terms of actual tenants or clients for those spaces?
1: Well, we have. I mean, the one operator I'm looking for at the moment, we, you know, we haven't got one over the line yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're you know we're engaging with a few landlords and and a few agents. The occupier will will want the landlord to bring the property up to a state of repair. Um, so again, that's the level of capex, which um, which a lot of landlords don't necessarily want to, no. to 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 play with at the moment. So that 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 is a bit of a sticking point. But um, no, I've been I've been encouraged by the by certainly not having the phone put down on me. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so, but yeah.
0: so this is this is essentially for, I, I, and we can't get into too much detail on on your yeah. customer. But basically, this is for somebody maybe doing is a management agreement or a rent to rent. Rather than buying the per- property for themselves and then operating
1: yeah yeah no it's about it's a management agreement so that they, they will they will come and use their systems put one of their brands on and operate it on behalf of the landlord so it's not yeah. it's not uh, it's not a rent to rent model in in the sense that you and i know yep. um, they they you yeah, know they take a management fee for for you know operating it in, in a good way for the uh, for the landlord but yes it's on it's on an occupa- occupational basis rather than the the freehold purchase basis yeah okay interesting
0: um something i've been hearing quite a bit about is the percentage of deals that they've been working on that aren't falling out of bed maybe maybe slightly more in residential but i think that's starting to come over to commercial too where the appetite and the change of lending has meant that people that are maybe going in with a certain set of criteria that they're using actually aren't working right now have, have you seen an uptick in the number of deals coming back out to the market
1: yes uh, i mean uh a- a- anecdotally you speak to various disgruntled agents who had deals deals fall out of bed um post the mini budget yeah for obvious reasons you know as, as a as a buyer you're you're basing your returns on the you know on the horizon you can see and you know when that horizon changes through you know, economic clouds then you have to you have to sort of think about what what price you want to pay yeah um you know pro- properties properties a long game isn't it so in my view it's better to to drop a deal and 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 escape rather than uh you know we want to be here alive and well at 65 still trading and operating without yeah. any risks
0: <laughs> so yeah anecdotally yeah you've seen yeah. the number of deals kind of increasing that are coming back to market yes um yeah yeah uh, have you seen landlord or at least vendor positions softening or are they still holding out
1: or? no I've, I've, I've seen some softening i i have mm-hmm. seen uh you know i'm on i'm on various um uh circulation lists for from agents from West yeah. End agents and uh, you know I do get um i do you know I do actually get emails uh, you know, blind copied in saying you know this is this is aborted, landlord's a bit more motivated to sell um and you know they'll they'll note the revised price on the on the mail on the mail yes. yeah, so now I'm seeing that, and that that is that is quite rare for it to be openly presented in such a way, yeah um, yeah.
0: yeah and it's I' was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday who's looking at doing more. Um, residential buy to let, and mm. he's saying that agents have been coming back to him recently saying, Right, this is um, this has gone to fixed fixed amount now, so right. this drop's gone to fix, it's not offers over. Um, yeah. It's just whether we are at a point of inflection or are we just going to have a nice little coast. This is this is me asking to get your crystal ball out now, Andrew, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, right. yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot of economic and um international and political things going on that could direct things in any direction however having said that in the last 18 months there have been many things that have happened (laughs) since we last spoke and i just wonder whether people and, and investors are getting a little bit more of um bad news fatigue <laughs> <laughs> and and in, in, in our own sector and our own customer base, at the moment, um, things are still steady as she goes. And that may change, of course. So on the ground for us, there it's not reflecting the, the sort of the sentiments that you're hearing out there. What, what's mm-hmm. your current feeling on where we're at and where we might be heading? Well, and of course, I mean, what the silver lining might be,
1: indeed. I, th- I think there are i think there are silver linings um you know uh i was uh fortunate enough in look, looking back at it to experience the credit crunch of 2007 2008 yep um and that was a real seismic event uh, well coming at the end of six seven eight years of of real real strong growth um and you know if you remember back at the news at those those days it's it's you know it's hard to forget those pictures of bankers leaving their offices with their shoe boxes and yeah. you know woe is me and uh, news headlines and for the right reasons that you know it affected many people deeply but and, um there, there was there was a long period of stagnation and decline between 2008 and when it started to turn around um which i would say we we're it, from my memory we'd seen the bottom of the market by 2010 mm-hmm. after the credit crunch and then by 2011-12 it started to motor on again um and i kind of i kind of use that as a bellwether as to where we are now i mean the matters are different and it's different yeah yeah but um but the you know the bold facts is. In, in you know in both circumstances where we are now and where we are there, you know, times were dire. Um and you know if, if you if you look at other there's so much money washing around the place. Yeah. And and where, you know, where'd you where do you put it? Um you know property, you know, if retail if retail is yielding prime about six percent, secondary eight percent, um, you know, industrial maybe five percent or four percent. You know, that's still a good return. So with 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 good stock selection, being well represented, knowing your tenants and knowing your towns, um, you know, for the for the intelligent, sophisticated investor, I think there's gonna be some some real bargains out there. Yeah. Especially uh,
0: from yeah, from those that need to change and may not have a queue of buyers list out around the street where they maybe have had a few months ago or a year ago. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, but I, but I, but uh, what I would say is, if you if you got it wrong, if if an investor got it wrong now, then you know they could be in for a rough ride. So um, it's important to be even more educated, even more up to date. Um, learn, learn your patch, your your niche, and and really sort of narrow down into what you know.
0: Yeah, focus yeah.
1: in. Yeah, both geographically and sector wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not in my mind. It's not a chance. Not it's not the time to take a punt. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're unless you're brave (laughs) so well what what opportunities do you think
0: would you see coming up and maybe more open this up to a wider maybe sectorial or um even geographical but what what sort of things do you think will be coming for, for those that are educating themselves um what sort of sectors do you see growing out of this or maintaining through this
1: well i think uh what has been going well, and what and what continues to go well, is is, uh, is uh, drive through, mm-hmm. drive through, uh, and, and road and roadside retail and, and uh, uh, roadside investments. Rents have gone up considerably. There's good occupational demand. Um, I would still I would still look at um, uh, southeast and um, other affluent cities and suburbs retail warehousing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially those that you could sort of see an alternative use value for, be that residential or or whatever else might come down, come down the tracks. But uh, w- w- just going back to what you said earlier, what I was noticing, um, I have seen quite a few vacant shops, sale mm-hmm. freehold. Um, that 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 has definitely been more noticeable as far as I'm concerned. Which tells me that there are there is pressure on, on certain landlords, you know, because ideally nobody wants to sell a vacant shop because, you know, you'd rather get income producing to a good tenant and sell it as an investment. Sure. So um, I think vacant shops, if you know, again, knowing your market, knowing where retailers want to be, perhaps coding up to a few retailers, either th- either direct or through their agents, working out mm-hmm. where they want to be, finding vacant units for them, finding land for them. Um, and you know, marrying those deals up. You know, so, some some vacant shops get put on the market through the same agent. And they've been vacant for a year or two, maybe longer. Agent gets bored. It just needs to be in the right hands and a fresh marketing campaign. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be some bargains had from from pick, picking your seller correctly. Those that might be more motivated to sell. Yeah. Say, just yeah. on
0: on for for the smaller private investor hmm. at the at the lower end of size in retail. Hmm. what's your thoughts about that end of the market i mean my my observation through some towns local to me would be that a lot of the small units particularly those that are under maybe just managed to get under the rateable threshold Hmm. have been well occupied since covid Hmm. and and have continued to be so um but those that are maybe more medium size to the larger they're the ones that sit empty because they're just over the crux they they immediately have an extra um, expenditure going out before mm. you get to maybe the larger ones where the occupant's prepared and used to spending those rates. It seems like that middle piece is getting pressed in mm. some of those smaller locations. Would you would you agree with that or?
1: Yeah, I would. I think um, you know for those very small shops, the, the local independents, the homes to, to, to people's business. You know, it's not it's not the case of leasing a middle sized shop to a national multiple retailer. Yeah. Whereas if it's not, you know, if it's not quite doing as as had been expected, you know the retailer will, will renegotiate terms downwards or they you know in certain circumstances they'll go through a CVA or they'll leave at lease expiry you know the sort of the appetite to try and make it work amongst these national occupiers isn't quite as great as it is amongst the you know uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or whoever yeah. it might be who have to make it work to you know uh, to, to run a business. But The challenge of course to the investor is
0: that is still seen as a, a weaker covenant, which is kind of <laughs> a slight irony there, really. Yeah, <laughs> that one, uh, one will manipulate things to to maybe leave <laughs> or change things, whereas the other one, um yeah. their their lifetime savings I
1: and mean, everything's tied up in it. It's quite right. You know, from a you know, it's a it's a box ticking exercise for a bank, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in a in, in a way. And uh, you know, how much time do their underwriters have to go into the granular level of detail to work out whether Mr. and Mrs. Smith and their and their baker is going to is going to make it work. You know, they just don't have the time and capacity. But so, you know, when it comes to ticking a box, it's easier to look at companies accounts or how many units they've got. You know, that is a that's a sort of structural deficiency really. Yes, it is. Yeah. If I'm going to see any sort of prediction would be I think those small units will
0: continue being strong as yeah. more as I mean the the shift to working from home has accelerated. I think there's people wanting to work near home, maybe not in home. Maybe some don't have the option, of course, of working at home. But it yeah. has benefited more local retail sector, smaller units. That's just that's my observation.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's the same it's the same down here. Our local our local high streets looking looking a bit better. Although that said the car park, much to my annoyance to the local train station is busier. So I don't have of the luxury <laughs> of the park as I used to. Um but that that's definitely that i've definitely noticed that over the last three or six months the the, the train stations to, to central london are busier but uh yeah you know, the small local operators are are definitely benefiting from um uh, uh from the sort of work from home or work near home uh phenomenon which is going on and that's great that's great for our town centers yeah sure centers. okay so l- last last
0: sector just to quickly touch on um the energy crisis so at the yeah. moment um certainly in the domestic sector most people are now probably off their tariffs getting to that stage where it's starting to affect them but commercial tariffs some of them are in for two years some of them longer some of them shorter but as yeah. those take over a bit like interest rates when you get to the end of the fixed rate it can be a nasty shock yeah and there's some there's some heavy energy users out there whether it be um, hot food maybe some leisure um industrial manufacturing, these sectors are going to potentially have a, a a big challenge on the on the horizon. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts? Is there much conversation going on about that amongst your colleagues?
1: Um, it's, it's not it's not leading the conversation. Um, I think people are looking at it in a slightly different way. In that um, in that the cost of living crisis is obviously having you know, the, the more noticeable part is the effect it'll yeah. have on the consumer. Mm-hmm. And therefore how much can the consumer this is you know, most certain, most notably the retail sector, how much can the consumer spend on a monthly basis? And that's obviously going to have an impact on what the retailer can afford to pay for a unit. And and then of course the retailer is getting squeezed on the other side by the rise in energy bills. It's a it's a sort of a two-pronged attack, isn't it? Yes. On, on the occupier. Um that is to be noted. I mean, I I, I sit at my local leisure centre when I when I get get a bit of time, and um, they've got you know there's a sauna there and a and a you know a whirlpool and all this. And I'm thinking, how the hell are they going to make that make that stack yeah. up
0: when costs really start to bite? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting how that works out. Yeah, I mean, obviously that might mean your pool will be a couple of degrees cooler than you're used to, <laughs> but but, yes. but there will be some sectors that are going to really struggle unless they can find. Um, some ways of, of mitigating that, but yeah. it's going to be tough if their bills go from whatever level they are right now and maybe quadruple for some of them.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. unless
0: there's intervention, of course. But I just I think you, as you say about silver lines, you you look at that and you just think, well, there there there's probably trouble ahead for certain sectors and certain energy-consuming businesses, and they they are likely to be the ones that might start showing distress sooner than others. That's my basic yeah. point.
1: Yeah. Well somebody somebody's got to pay for it all, haven't they? So someone's got to be on the receiving end of, of um these increasing costs and, and uh and, and decreasing um uh in revenues and you know the, the occupiers won't want to be be that person. So they'll obviously be looking to reduce their costs and that'll be in certain circumstances discussions with landlords. Yeah. You know, gotta work you've got to work with us to, you know, to ensure that we can continue to trade from your outlet. Yeah. Of course, landlords are beholden in many instances on what they owe the bank. And so they can't they can't necessarily be the charity which the occupier wants. So yeah, yeah it's a sticky old
0: position, isn't it? it? It it is, yeah, it is. Um so just just looking forward again for a second, what what areas do you think or if you were talking to some private investors right now, would you be saying keep your powder dry? Keep searching and so when you see a deal you know it's a good one. What what, yeah. what would you be advising people right now?
1: So so um I'll tell you what uh from my context, um I think next year's next year's Probably, we're probably gonna see the uh after effects of the of the news, if that's the right way of saying yes. it. We're gonna see the fallout from the news. Um but what but what I'm doing is um is storing Estate agents' details. So, so, properties, mainly freehold properties, which have hit the market now for sale. If I like the look of them, I, I put them on the database and then I'll revisit them in, in three to six months. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would question why, unless anybody's really motoring through the gears or motivated for some reason, you know, why buy something which is being openly marketed now at, at a full price with competition? Yeah, um, I think I think uh, I think it's all about boxing clever. So find 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 the motivated seller. Find property which has been on the market for a while. Um, you know, if you're in the market to to buy and convert property, then you know look at look at shops and offices which have been available to let for six, twelve, eighteen, twenty four months, um, and then approach the landlord to see if they'll sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I would just sort of I would look at it from a three sixty property from a 360 position really rather than just a straight okay that property's been put on the market for sale let's see if it stacks up and make an offer I mean of course a lot of people do make a living out of that way but um, I think there's there's probably cleverer ways of looking of, of approaching yep. deals at deal moment do you sometimes just uh,
0: interested in your own process do you mm-hmm. Um, tend to, in your own business, put in offers of where you think the deal works for you, knowing it is below the expectation of the seller because it kind of puts a marker. Depends, of course, if it's going to go to closing date or all that sort of stuff. That's different. But it kind of yeah. puts a marker in the sand that you know that should things continue to go a little bit more difficult, that actually you, you've you got something there to go back to. You know, you were saying there about, I'll log that out my database for three, six months' time. Yeah. Do you sometimes go to the bother of putting in an offer, knowing that perhaps this one might not happen, but I know that I'll be able to come back to this in six months' time with a much better, stronger position?
1: Um, yes, that's that's a good question, and I, I can answer this from um, from the position of being the selling of being you know a sales agent for yes. many years. Um, a, I, I don't because I don't uh, I don't want um, you know say something's in the market for a million quid. I'm only just talking through examples here, and I only yep. think it's uh, seven hundred thousand pounds. I, I wouldn't make that offer. Um you know I might I might be missing out. I'd have a conversation with the agent to try and sound him out but um I'd, I'd I would uh, I'd caution about getting getting known as a uh, as a sort of a low baller in your local know, yes. market. You know the agency fraternity and sorority is is quite close and if you're that person who continually lowballs, you may end up with a bit of a reputation. But And, and also, I, I've seen this happen so many times when I was a selling agent that um, somebody's put an offer in, you know, if I talk on the same basis, say I was selling something for a million pounds and and then, you know, someone had an offer of 700,000 pounds. Say over the period of six months, I as a sales agent couldn't sell it. So I had to go back and accept their offer. Lo and behold, that seven hundred thousand pounds which I'd been offered is suddenly six hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, Um, and there's nothing more frustrating as a sales agent to be to be on the receiving end of that. <laughs> um, did,
0: did some of those deals
1: still go through? Out of interest. Oh, through gritted teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what you've got to do as a sales agent is to remove your sort of emotion. Your emotion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, as a strategy from the sales from
0: from selling, probably as a strategy, it it can work, but it yeah. can, you have to remember that if you keep doing it, it may mean that you don't get shown as many deals because they're getting cheesed off at how you're making them emotionally.
1: Well, that's right, and especially and especially if, you know if you if you if you get the deal brought to you by a, a sourcing agent, an acquisition agent, and then you ask them to you know run the numbers, collect comparables sent to check the deal and then then after you know a month or two of due diligence you you make your offer at seven hundred thousand pounds your your sourcing agent's gonna slowly slow or very quickly actually uh stop sending you properties my view and others will have different views just you know keep keep your powder dry and at the right time then reveal your hand yeah um, interesting. interesting yeah different yeah. approaches different approaches approaches
0: yeah yeah uh yeah okay great yeah. um thanks andrew i think we've covered most things uh this this next period is definitely going to be interesting i guess if we get together in 18 months time we'll <laughs> be able to see what
1: happened right yeah, little, yeah. yeah yeah what news would we have gone through by but <laughs> well we're all getting thicker skins i guess aren't we we certainly are yeah I,
0: it, it it does it does make me laugh some chuckle a little bit sometimes when you think of all the many things that have been thrown at us and yeah. Customers do seem to just get immune to it. Some I mean sometimes we'll get inquiries for space or take space. And I'm thinking, did you not see the news yesterday? But obviously <laughs> yeah. they've just come immune to it and just well, getting right. on with it. And yeah. let's let's be fair, not every sector is going to be struggling. There's going to be some sectors that are going to be doing very well. Um and it's not like the economy suddenly stops. Yeah. It's just that maybe it does a percentage or two less than what it was doing. But it can be acute for certain sectors, other sectors not so much.
1: Well, that's right, you know, and and whenever there's um whenever there's a fallout or, or a rupture in the market, that's going to present opportunities in yep. other manners, isn't it? So yeah, it's keeping your eye keeping your eye on the good news as well as the bad news. Yeah, so, so both.
0: Yeah, so going back to two thousand and six, trying to find a property, for, from my own perspective, trying to find a property that wasn't competing with residential, was really tough. You know, you if you're looking at a, a a quality building for maybe doing office space, there was a, there was another five people looking at doing it and converting it into resi, and and that was mm. a tough market. So when, so when you were going through that period, you're it's really difficult because everything's fairly steady; it's all going in that direction. And it's only when the disruption came, like you said in 2007 eight, and and the, the tail of that lasted quite long. We, mm. we we bought a building in 2013 that was still. Uh, a casualty of the of the recession it just took that long for it to sort of flush through. Mm. And that disruption mm-hmm. that you say brings those opportunities, but we just have to be paying attention.
1: hmm No, indeed. Yep. Keep uh keep educated, keep at it and uh, keep keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's gonna be some deals to come out of there out of this. And you know, uh, I'm afraid where there are losers there are going to be winners. Um in this yeah. sort of- bald facts isn't it so um, just keep plugging away that's yeah. it
0: fabulous okay thanks Andrew why yeah. don't you just quickly give us some details of where people can catch you if they want to talk to you directly
1: yeah sure so um, my commercial agency is tandemrealestate.co.uk my development asset management platform is the credo.group okay um, I'm also uh, on the advisory board at leo crowdfunding the equities yeah, yeah. The platform and uh i'm doing some consultancy work at aparo prop tech lead generation platform at the moment so that's aparo.co.uk okay plenty um,
0: places to find it and you've got an instagram account as well i do yes and are you on um clubhouse as much
1: or at all well I, I, I try i do i do try you know unfortunately with the you know what well, getting the kids ready for school yep. and you know walking the dogs and all this it's you know it's one thing that's got to go <laughs> uh, enjoy really a good listen every now and then there's actually some good content on there yeah there is okay so
0: andrew I'll, we will pop some of those in the show notes for anybody that wants to get in touch with great to catch up. Yeah. yes um, we'll uh, we'll pop a date in the diary for um end of 23 maybe start of 24 <laughs> we'll see where we're at see where we get to lovely thank you so much andrew for joining us on the show if any of you want to reach out the andrew's details are going to be in the show notes Hi there i hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the cpi podcast even though it's free to listen to it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode did you know that by leaving a positive written review you yes you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast and that's really important because by reaching a wider audience it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week for some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast, and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews, and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes, and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.